0: Just like physical exercise is also helpful. But godliness is even more profitable than physical exercise. Amen? We're talking about the subject of faith. This is lesson number seven. If that surprises you, I think we can go for a whole year talking on this subject. And we'll never exhaust the subject of faith. It's by faith. And why are we focusing on this? Well, think about it. Chapter 11 of Hebrews The whole chapter is devoted and dedicated to the subject of faith. We find out the definition of faith in the very beginning. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? Also, we discover in that same beginning of that chapter that that's how we understand the creation that we're on and that we live in. What did it say? It says, by faith, we understand The world was framed by the word of God, so that the things that are seen are not made of things that do appear. What does that mean? Stop looking under a microscope. You're not going to find it. If the world was made of things that don't appear, you're trying to find something that doesn't appear. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means it doesn't appear. So you're not going to find it in the natural realm. You'll never understand it. That's why we've got the Big Bang Theory and all these other things. are nothing but theories. Because, you see, it takes faith. Why does it take faith? Well, let me just quickly tell you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God, and without Him was... Not made anything that was made. All things were made by him and without him was not one thing made that was made. Amen. Guess what? You've got to believe that. That's what faith is all about. You have to believe that. You're not going to get it under a microscope or in a sky somewhere. I believe that Jesus made the world. Well that kind of puts it to rest, doesn't it? He made all things. All of creation is explained in that one statement. He made all things. By the word of his power, he upholds all things. But then also the expression by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith is throughout the chapter. And it talks about the patriarchs of old and their accomplishments and their achievements all by faith. They were able to do the things that God wanted them to do. Obviously, faith starts with him because he's the author and finisher of our faith, right? So since it starts with him, We've got to have a word from Him in order to have a basis for our faith or a foundation for our faith. We don't step out and do something that He has not told us to do or that He doesn't reveal to us in His Word. That's not true faith. True faith starts with God, not self. Can you say amen? Now, also as we continue our study from last week, remember, we talked about that faith needs patience to bring to, uh, into the material Word the thing that we're believing for. Remember, follow those who through faith and Patience inherit the promise. So patience has to undergird our faith if we want to inherit the promises of God. So not everything happens instantaneously. It takes time for the, for things to materialize, and we shouldn't get discouraged along the way, and faint and lose heart because it didn't happen immediately. That's what the Word teaches us. So it takes time. So as we continue our study, First Corinthians chapter um, two, and beginning at verse one. This is the Apostle Paul giving us a revelation of where our faith should be. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save or except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and much trembling, or in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but where should it stand? In the power of God. So where should our faith be? In the power of God. Is that power limited in any way? Absolutely not. So Paul says, when I came preaching to you, I wasn't using words of wisdom. Now, let's put this in context before we go any further. He just got done talking about the Gentile and the Jew in chapter 1. And he said to them, the cross to the Jew is what? A stumbling block. And he said, to the Gentile, it's foolishness. Doesn't make any sense. Because, you see, he wants to look at it from a physical, natural perspective perspective, give me proof, but the Jew says, I want more signs. Didn't God tell the Jew, I've shown you so many signs? I raised, my, I raised Lazarus from the dead right in front of you. <laughs> what more do you want? Right? So Paul said, look, when it comes to God saving grace or a man being saved and spending his eternity with him in glory, you had, you've had the signs. He's been raised from the dead. And to the Gentile, you're not going to find it intellectually. You've got to trust in the power of God. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Now, I could subtitle this message. You've got to have guts. You've got to have grit to get to the glory. Okay, anybody want the glory? Not going to just happen because you want it. It's going to take guts. It's going to take grit to get the glory. And we're going to use as an example to illustrate this. If we want the power of God, look at Elisha, the successor of Elijah, who had a call of God upon his life to accomplish the things that God had for him to do. And he wanted a double portion of the anointing or the spirit that was on Elijah to be upon him in order for him to do the work that God had called him to do. Right? And we see this in 2 Kings and we're going to explore this. We're going to talk about this. But let's remember this. We all have the call of God upon our lives. Every single one of us is living in a world that really doesn't want to serve God. And we know that. It's all around us. It could be in our home, and our family. It could be you know, in the workplace where we go. All around us we know that there are those that just don't believe in the things of God. We understand that. Does that mean that we just let them go and not do anything to try to save their souls? No, we want to be able to bring them into the family of God as well. But to do that requires more than you've got, more than I've got. It requires the power of God from on high. In order to break through the darkness and pierce through that darkness that holds them in blindness and darkness so that they can't receive Christ as Savior. See, it's a spiritual warfare that we're in. We understand that. It's not natural. It's spiritual. And so we may have people that are out there that are loved ones that maybe they haven't given their hearts and lives to Jesus. And I'll be honest with you. If there's anything you want to give them, it's Jesus. No matter how wonderful they are to you here upon this planet, They are eternal spirit beings and they're going to live forever somewhere. And don't we want all our families in the kingdom of God? Don't we want them to be with us forever throughout eternity? Absolutely, that's what we want. So, let's start with number one, the reason. The reason why Elisha wanted this supernatural power and anointing of the spirit upon his life. Well, first of all, let's just say this. He didn't want it because he was egotistical. He didn't want it so that he can, you know, be full of pride and arrogance and say, you thought Elijah was bad. Mm. I'm, I'm, How do you say it today? More bad? Batter? <laughs> when did bad become good? I, I just, it did though, at some point, right? Man, he's a bad dude. <laughs> and you mean he's really tough. Well, whatever. Anyhow. He didn't want it just to say, I've got my own platform. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to show these people that I'm somebody special, somebody mighty and all that. That was not his attitude whatsoever. He was not arrogant whatsoever. As a matter of fact, and we'll see this, that he came from a very wealthy family. And he had life made where he was. He had a good work ethic. He was found plowing in the fields of his father. And they had a very wealthy, wealthy place. They were very wealthy. And it shows that he had a good work ethic because he was working the fields even though he was wealthy. And so he was humble. He had a good work ethic. He had a good attitude. Isn't it something that God calls him? His heart was right. So he wasn't arrogant. He wasn't trying to have his own platform. But he wanted to serve God. And when the mantle came upon him, he said, "Ooh, all the intellect that I have, all the money that I have, uh, political influence that I might have, secular powers that I might have, none of that is enough to accomplish this task that God has called me to do. It's impossible. And Elijah, I can see what you've done by the power of God. I'm going to need more. He probably felt like, I need more than, than what you had because I'm, I'm not even as qualified as you are. I want more of the power of God, more of the ability of God. Can you see that? And so let's look at the scripture in 2 Kings, in verses 9 and 10. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. came to pass when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee, for for I uh, be taken away from thee. Uh, And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from thee, then it shall be unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. What he was saying was, I can't answer that prayer. I can't do that for you. Only God can give you what you're asking for. And for you to get what you're asking for is no easy task. You're going to have to be completely sold out. So you're going to be sold out to God in order for that to occur. He said, But here's the thing. If you see me, then you'll know that you got it. All right. Now, the southern kingdom was ruled by good kings. And those good kings brought about the worship of God, spiritual reform. And so as far as they were concerned, things were on the up and up. But when it came to the northern kingdom, remember this, Elijah was there, the kings were evil, King Ahab, you think about Jezebel, his wife. and Just think about what was going on in the northern kingdom. They were not serving God. They were not living for God. They were in idolatry, worshiping false gods and images and all that. And so Elijah the prophet was placed there to do what? To bring these people back to God and to revive the things of God once again in that northern kingdom. Well, the southern kingdom was fine. Once again, that's a work that requires power from on high. If you recall the story in 1 Kings 18, when Elijah thought he was alone and by himself, and the 400 prophets of Baal came, and what did he do? He said, look, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to make a decision between who is really God here? Just because all of you are in number and I'm one person, just because you've got 400 prophets and you're going in that direction, it seems like as though that everything is right over here. I want you to know something that you're wrong. Let me tell you something right now. Let the God who is God, Baal or Jehovah, answer by fire. Forget all this other stuff. Let him answer by fire. So they spent all day long praying and waiting upon their God, Baal, to do something, to bring fire from uh, above, to burn up the sacrifice. Well, guess what? It never happened. He began to make sport with them and mock them and scoff them and just say, where is he? Maybe he's taking a nap. Or maybe he went for a walk. Or maybe he's indisposed. But whatever, he has not showed up on the scene whatsoever. And look, it's my turn. It's my turn. Are you ready for your God to answer? It's my turn. I'm going to put the sacrifice together, put stones all around it. Not with one water one time, three times it filled up with water everywhere that you could soak the whole thing with water. And then call upon the name of the Lord my God and just say, let them know that you are God and you have called me to be here to revive this place, to turn their hearts back towards you once again. Answer by fire and the fire of God came down, praise God, burned up everything that was there, lit up the water that was there. And all of a sudden they fell on their face and they said, God, he is God. So you can't do that by just walking up to somebody's door and just saying, "Hey, would you like to make Jesus Christ the Lord and savior of your life?" But if you have that little statue that they have out there and, oh, and then say, "Hey, by the way, before knock on the door and just say, "Hey, come out here. You see that little statue over there, what might be whatever, who knows what it is, But it, there's your little statue over there? Hey, if fire comes down and burns it up, would you accept Jesus as your savior?" And all of a sudden, pow! <laughs> that might get someone's attention, wouldn't you think? It might get someone's attention, right? Mm-hmm. You see, we could preach and preach and preach and preach and preach. Only God's power can penetrate the soul of a person. To drive out the darkness that's blinding their minds from receiving. Young people, old people, people that have been in it for many, many, many years. And, but yet maybe they're religiously bound, but have never made Christ the Lord and Savior of their life. Well... Elijah was, a tr- was tremendously used by God. But you know, he had his ups and downs as well. Elijah was at work right there. And they turned their hearts. He killed all the prophets. But Jezebel said, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. This brave man of God can call fire down from heaven. And the fire came and fell. But he was afraid of a woman. The power of a woman. Listen up, man. He could stand before 400 prophets. He could stand there and proclaim the Word of God. But when he heard Jezebel was going to kill him, he was so depressed he ran in fear. He hid under a mulberry bush and he got... Come on, Elijah. He's a man with feelings and passions like as we are, right? The Bible says. In other words, he's just as normal as anybody else. Okay. He was doing his part, in other words, to evangelize the northern kingdom. His time was coming to an end, and he knew that. And so the anointing of God came upon Elisha, but Elisha didn't just step out into ministry just like that, Elisha had to be trained and mentored along the way before he could step out into ministry and fulfill the call of God upon his life. And what did he know? I know it's not going to be my intellect, my power, political power, social. None of that's going to do it. I need the power of God. And beloved, we all need the power of God today. To live in an ungodly world, in an ungodly time right now, we need the power of God, even in our churches. Not just religious form, but the power of the living God. Why? Because we in ourselves are no match for the forces of darkness that are out there. In this warfare that we're in, they're trying to hold people in chains of darkness to take them into eternity in a lake of fire. And it's up to us to pierce the darkness with the power of God on our lives, in our lips with the word of God to set the captives free. Amen. We can never lose sight of that because that's your main reason for living here today. You, you want to know one of the biggest lies the devil's ever told people? Keep your religion to yourself. Don't bring up politics and don't bring up religion. Well, I agree, maybe don't bring up politics. (laughs) But when it comes to your belief in Jesus, bring it up. Amen. When they see you full of joy and speakable full of glory, and they say, why are you so joyful, Brother Larry? (laughs) Let them know why. I've got a joy in my soul, praise God. Okay, secondly, secondly, the road. 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is the road. You ready for the ride? This is the road. Now, let's let's follow the ride. Here's the ride. Well, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by whirlwind, that Elijah uh, went with Elisha from Gilgal. Everybody say Gilgal. Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Terry, here I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel, and Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were of Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. That's a nice way to say be quiet. And Elijah said to Elisha, Terry, here. Stay here. At Bethel, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elisha said unto him, Terry, I pray thee, hear, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth. I will not leave thee, and they two went on. They two went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood of you afar off, and they two stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided thither, hither and thither, so they went over on dry ground. Did you know that the bottom of a river is dry? If God divides the waters. Amen. But notice they went from Gilgal to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, from Jericho to Jordan, right? Okay, so that you could say is the trip. That is the ride. That's the road that he took to get there. Now once again, mind you, this is not happening over a short period of time. Some say it was 10, 12, up to 20 years that this took place. So when you read that so quickly, and you think, well, look how quickly this happened in Elisha's life. No, it wasn't quick. Like I said, He was very wealthy, he was very rich, he could have stayed in any one of these cities if he wanted to. He could have been overcome by what? Opposition, obstacles, and also the temptation to stay back and just say this is a nice city. Because you see, to the Jew, those were nice cities. But you will notice that the sons of the prophets that were in the cities were basically not serving God the way they should have been serving God. Otherwise, Elijah or Elisha would not have had to have been sent. But because they weren't serving God, and we'll get back to this a little little bit later, God had to send the prophets to go in there to get them straightened out. Alright? Okay. And we could say that for for anyone today. We can all get off track. We can all get off the right road onto the wrong road. Admittedly, right? No matter who we are. And very subtly sometimes people leave the right road, they get on the wrong road, they need to be brought back. And isn't it sad that when someone says, "I, I feel for your soul, I'm concerned about your soul, and you try to get them back to the Lord, you become an enemy. You're trying to help them better than anyone else is, but yet you become an enemy. You know, sometimes when people get criticized for saying, you shouldn't believe the way you believe today. Let that person be how they want to be. Let that person act the way they want to act. Let that person do what they want to do. If you love people, because you see you're a Christian, you're supposed to love all people. And I want to say to them this. I love them more than you do. You want to love them by letting them do what they want to do, even if it means they end up into a lake of fire. I'm willing to tell them you're on the wrong road. You can hate me if you want to, but you're on the wrong road. You better get on the right road because you know why? I love you. I don't want you to spend eternity in a lake of fire. That's why I'm talking to you. That's why I'm sharing. Can you see that? We should all have that same kind of mentality and mindset. Every single one of us. You love them too much to let them be lost forever. Even if it means that they, for a while, or a season, disown you. Okay. Okay. I said Elijah was a man of character and I'll start with this. He was a man of guts. To leave all that he had behind took guts. For him to follow Elijah from step to step, place to place, took guts. Because you see, he was secure. He had to leave the comforts of home, the comforts of all the wealth to go out and do something that God called him to do. Not knowing where it would end up. It took grit. It took grit. What is grit? Grit is strength of character. Grit is courage. Grit is resolve. It meant even when the prophet himself said, Terry ye here, tarry ye here, Terry here. He goes, Uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, uh uh. I'm staying with you, I'm staying with you, I'm staying with you. And I'm sure there were some things they saw along the way that I'm sure he saw along the way that Elijah had to put up with along the way to make him think, Do I really want to do this? some people think I want to get into the ministry you know look at pastor just stands up there and preaches and had a wonderful time he, he, he only works two days a week <laughs> Sunday Wednesday and that's all there is to it come around once in a while and we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> it's not a glorious thing okay trust me <laughs> there's a lot involved <laughs> it's not all glory either Amen. So you see, he had guts as well. He had resolve. He was not going to keep it under the pressure to the temptation of staying back because of the opposition or the obstacles or the opportunities that he had. He's going on. So where does he go from? Gilgal. What is Gilgal? It's the place of beginnings. That's the first stop along the way. How do I know that? Because when he came into the promised land, the first stop was at this place. And what did they do? They renewed the covenant they had with God. Joshua chapter 5. They renewed the covenant. They cut covenant. They circumcised those that were not circumcised at this point, reminding them of the covenant they had with God at Gilgal, the place of beginnings. This is where it starts. What is our Gilgal? Calvary. Have you come to the cross? Have you come to Jesus? Have you given him your heart? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? Aren't you glad that you came? Aren't you glad he washed you in his blood? Aren't you glad you know your destination is with him in glory? You will not be lost for an eternity. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? What a wonderful place. What a wonderful stop along the way on the road to glory. But you see, there's guts. It took guts for you to step out of your comfort zone. Whatever it may have been. A circle of friends. Maybe even some religious traditions that you were bound to. But you weren't born again at that time. But for you to stand up and just say, you know what, I found out the truth. And the truth is Jesus said I must be born again. And no matter what it meant, it took me guts to rise up and just say, even to my family, just to say to them, you know what, I've been born again. I've got the life of God in me. I've got the nature of God. It took guts to take that stand. It took grit along the way when they're trying to talk you out of it. Trying to talk you to do something else. And and others say, you're crazy, you've lost your mind, etc., etc. I used to be one of those that said, you're crazy, you lost your mind. You people that say, praise the Lord all the time, you're you're out of your minds and all that. I found out when I got saved, I got crazy. (laughs) I too am saying, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, you saved me. Can you relate to what I'm saying? Sure. But everybody else thinks you're crazy. See, the glory comes. Okay, so from Gilgal, what's that first stop is what? Calvary. What's the second stop? Bethel. It's a holy place. It's like a house of God. It's a place of divine visitation. It's a place where you move from, okay, Calvary I've been saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb, but now what do I do? What I did was I studied the Word of God. I took some teaching lessons that I got from people that I really admired. And I began to study their teachings and all that. I met with God studying my Bible. I met with God studying these things. I met with God going to church and learning more because I wanted to know more. I wasn't satisfied with where I was at in God. I wanted more of the things of God because I knew that that's what I should do as a Christian. I should grow now. Right? Speaking the truth in love, we should grow thereby. Didn't Peter say in 1 Peter 2, 2, now that you've been born again, what? Desire the word of God that you may grow thereby. So, absolutely. As newborn babes, desire a sincere miracle of the word that you may grow thereby. And so that's the second place. That's the Bethel place. That's where we visit with God. That's the place of dreams. That's the place where Jacob, and he dreamt of angels ascending and descending and all that, and God gave him all this. See, that's like the workshop. That's like the laboratory of our lives. That's where you sit down with God and you just say, okay, what do you got for my life? Give me vision. Give me direction. I'm just going to delight myself in you, Lord, so that you can give me the desires of my heart which come from you, which means you're putting your desires in my heart for my service for you. So when you get saved, don't stay just at the cross there and just say, I'm saved and do nothing. Get into your Bible. Get into the Word of God. Get into a good church. Get into a a Bible study group. Get wherever you can to glean life from people where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. Okay, but did he stop there? No, they went where? To Jericho. What's Jericho? It's a place of manifestation. It's a place where victory was had. It's a place where the walls came down and they saw that they served a living God who answered prayer, who manifested his presence, his power and his glory among the people. Brother, we serve a God who's a living God. We serve a God who answers by fire. And so, once again, he goes to this place at Jericho and that's what it represents as far as we are concerned. But don't just stay at a place of, okay, we've had some victories along the way. Have you had some victories along the way? Has God showed up on the scene of your life and produced for you? Has he done that for you? Aren't you glad for that? Well, we can't rest in our past victories. Because you see, there's still more to have in God. Come on, Elisha, there's still another place to go. And what is Jordan? Jordan is a place of death to self. Mm. Now we're really rolling up our sleeves, aren't we? Elijah and Elisha. This is the place that we all want to get to. Paul found that place. He said that he lives in Christ. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse twenty. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You ready for it? It's one thing to say, I have Christ. It's another thing to say, Christ has me. Can you say amen? I have Christ, I know, but does Christ have you? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say? What does that mean? Why call me Lord, Lord? If you call someone your Lord and King in those days, you did everything that they said. Because your life would be in danger if you did not do what they said to do. So he said to the people, why are you calling me Lord when you won't listen to a thing I have to say? If you call me Lord, then do what I say. Well, how do I know what he said? (laughs) It's right here. Right? It's right there for us to look up for ourselves to find out what he said. Did you know he said, love your enemies? And the first thing you did when you got this morning said, how many enemies can I love today? <laughs> right? Wrong. <laughs> no, the point is, if I don't put any effort to find out what he said, how am I going to know what he said? That's why we studied the Bible. That's why we studied the word of God. I want to know what he said. Okay, so at Jordan is death to self. Because you see, I don't want to live. I want Christ to live in me. And the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's the motivation. Paul was saying, look, I'm crucified with Christ, but yet I know I live. Christ lives in me, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in other words, I realize that, yes, I have Christ in me, but I need to... Give myself over until Christ is alive in me, living in me, and through me. And people can see Christ in me. That is my goal. And that's called death to self. People that are unforgiving or haven't died to themselves. People that are bitter haven't died to themselves. Can you see that? We want our way. People that are jealous, they want their way. But when you say, you know what, what does it matter? That's right. I was forgiven the great debt. I'm going to forgive you. He laid his life for me. I'm going to lay down my life for you. Can you see how easy that is? I'm just going to do what you want me to do, Lord. Okay. So Jordan is a place of death to self. Right? And once we're empty of self, we're full of God. Okay. So that, we see, is the road. But what about the resolve? Let's look at it. The result, we see, we see here in 2 Kings, in chapter 2. If we want to move from glory to glory, from faith to faith, it's going to take faith to faith to move from glory to glory. We've got to have the same mentality that Elisha had. Elijah said to Elisha, Terry, here I pray thee for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. What we should be saying is this. Jesus... I'm not leaving your side. Jesus, when you turn around, you're going to be seeing me. Because I'm going to be following you. I'm going to watch your every move. I'm going to see how you conducted yourself when you were here upon the earth. Everywhere you go, I'm going to be there, Jesus. I'm going to be there. How many of you know that he never leaves nor forsakes us? It's only the other way around. You say, well, how can we leave and forsake Him if we don't pick up our Bibles and if we don't study and pray, if we don't get to Bethel and seek His face and just stay before His presence, wanting His vision for our lives, then guess what? We're not walking close to Him like we should. But if we say, you know what? I can't even exist today without You, Lord. So when I get up in the morning... Oh, my prayer will be set forth as incense before you. The lifting of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Thank you for your faithfulness at night and your loving kindness in the morning because you kept me through the night and I'm still breathing and I'm still alive. And I want to thank you. I want for your presence, your power, your peace, your promises, provision, protection because you know why, Jesus? I can't get through 24 hours without you. And it's not going to do it. I want you and I want more of you in my life. So this is his resolve. He says, you know what, Elijah, you could tell me to stay back, but you know what, I know you're probably just trying to prove what I'm made of on the inside. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. And as I said earlier, every one of those cities would be a city where a Jewish person would say, hey, I I can, you know, make my home here. I can make my home at Bethel. I can make my home over here at Jericho and be satisfied. So the temptation is, once you get some victory along the way, just to settle that settle down right there and just say, okay, I'm satisfied with where I'm at and with what I have in God. And just kind of become complacent. It's easy for anyone. I'm not criticizing anybody. We all can do it. Every one of us. But you know what? We've got to realize there's more to have. We've got to recognize the fact that we're not experiencing everything that we can experience in God. There's a whole lot more for us to experience in God. But it does require a depth of self. So so look at the um, next one, the response. But wait! before I even go there, let me go back and do this. Gilgal is the cross. You gave your heart to Jesus. Bethel is the place of visitation. You and I are going to have distractions untold. <clears throat> There's going to be all kinds of things that we can do to take away from our intimacy with God. There's going to be work schedules. There's going to be children. You're going to be a taxi cab driver for your children. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. All kinds of occasions that you can experience in your life. And what they're designed to do is to help us or keep us away from the things of God. And I guarantee you, Satan will fill up your book, your appointment book, and see to it that all your time, effort, energy does not go into developing your walk with God. Guaranteed, he'll do that. So, if we stay at Bethel and stop at Bethel, that's all we're ever going to have. But then you go to Jericho and this place of victory. Once again, there has to be great resolve when I say that I'm not going to stay here because, you see, I can't rest in past victories. I need more of God in my life today. Now, look at the response because this is really unique. When, when, when I read this and really got the full depth of understanding, I'll tell you what, it spoke to my heart and just volumes in my heart. <clears throat> the response. This is God's response. Second Kings. Now, let's read this beginning at verse 11. This is after the fact. This is when he sees him go up in heaven. So, in other words, Elisha submitted himself, surrendered his heart, his complete will, over to, to do what he was called to do and what needed to be done in his own life to bring it to pass by going to Bethel, by going to, to Jericho, and then finally going to Jordan and surrendering his heart and his will completely. Well, it came to pass... As they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up into heaven, in a whirlwind, into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried. What was the statement he made? If you see me go up, you will have to request your double portion. So he saw him go up, Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold on his own clothes and rent them into pieces. In other words, it's no longer me. He took up also the mantle of Elijah, just just like the overcoat, of Elijah that fell from, from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. Okay, now he has the mantle of God. Now he has the double portion of the Spirit and the anointing that was upon Elijah. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, pretty bold statement, what did he say? All right, I've done my part. I've come to Gilgal. I've gone to Bethel. I made my way to Jericho. We two went on. And now I'm at Jordan. I saw him go up. He said, I would get what I asked for. And now, where is it? Where is the God of Elijah? And when he had also it smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Notice, he got the double portion, not to go his separate way, not to do his own personal thing. He smote those same waters, and what was he saying? Death to self. I've crucified the flesh. I am now the servant of the Most High God, and I'm going to do what God called me to do. I'm not making a name for myself. I'm making a name for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so he goes back, and the waters of the Jordan are parted. And he goes again on dry land. And then, notice this. Where does he go back to? When the sons of the prophet, which were to view at Jericho, saw him. Who are these? The sons of the prophets. They see him. What do they say? And they said to him, The spirit of Elijah doth rest upon Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. men, And let let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, Ye shall not ascend. In other words, don't do it. He knew where he went. He knew that he was taken into heaven. But you see, in times past, Elijah was translocated, and they can find him at different places, and they thought, this is just another thing. And so really, they weren't really all that impressed with Elisha. They were still going back to find Elijah, and he said, don't do it. Well, they, still, they were persistent. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. In other words, go. <clears throat> it's like your child telling you, can I go, 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 can I go. And No, 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 no. Finally, you just get fed up and just say, get out of here so they sent therefore fifty men and they sought for how long three days but what they found him not and when they came again to him like every good parent for he tarried at Jericho he said to them didn't I tell you like any good parent would say I told you not to do it Okay. didn't I say to you go not and the men of the city said unto Elisha see now they know the hand of God is on him behold I pray thee the situation of this city is pleasant As my Lord see it, but the water is not, and the ground barren. Wait, we talk about Jericho here? Wasn't that where the grapes were so big? Isn't that where the land that flows with milk and honey? When they got into the promised land and saw what happened here. We see the water is bad. And he goes on to say, because of the water, people were dying. And because of the water, the crops were failing. And he said, bring me a new cruise and put salt therein. And they brought it to him and he went forth unto the spring of the waters and cast the salt in there and said, notice what he says. Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from this any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day according to the saying. Notice, not according to the salt, but according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. Okay, let's stop there just for a moment. We can spiritualize this as well as look at it in a natural. This was still going on even beforehand. Elijah didn't do this. But now under the anointing of God, with a double portion of the anointing, finally when they realize he is the man of God, they go to him with a problem, a major problem that's there in the city of Jericho. And what is that problem? In a natural we saw what it was. It was poisoned water. There was water that wasn't good. People were getting dysentery. People were dying from the water and had not a good spring of water that was coming forth. And so, they want him to do something about the situation. The crops, once again, are failing because the water is so bad. Okay so what happens is if you look at it from a spiritual perspective the sons of the prophets you could say isn't the water representative of the word didn't Jesus say you're washed in the water of the word these prophets were not proclaiming the truth of God's word and it was making people sick because they were not proclaiming the truth of the word of God because they were compromising the things of God telling people what they wanted to hear and all that it's like our generation today people don't want to go to church to get showers today they want to go to church to get entertained today I guarantee you, when you come here, you will always be challenged. That is a guarantee. To move further in the things of God, I guarantee you. I'm not going to give you even a small amount, I'm going to give you a stake every time you come here. Because I believe in the Word of God, not me. Not me. The power of God, the Word of God, the change of human life. I'm not going there, once again, to be entertained. And so what is he saying to these people? Look, it's your fault. You've compromised the Word of God. And it's producing death. You're the sons of the prophets. You're not even bold enough to stand before the people and tell them, look, get it right with God. Serve God like you should. But he throws some salt into it. Didn't he say we're the salt of the world? Thank God for salt. We're the light and the salt, right? And so the salt, as he spoke the word, did what? Made a difference. The words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. His words are life to those that find him and health to all their flesh. So what does he do with Jericho under this double a portion of the anointing of God? Produces success to get these people serving God once again. But then he goes where? To Bethel. And he went up from thence to Bethel. And as he was going up, by the way, there came forth little children, bad translation, young adults, out of the city and mocked him, said to him, go up thou bald head, a very offensive term, go up. In other words, get out of here. What have we to do with you, thou bald head? And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. What did he do? He cursed them. And there came forth two she bears. Don't get mama unhappy. Mm -mm. And you know why? These young men, and there were many of them, was a gang. And they were going out and getting these cubs and killing these cubs. And mama bear was not happy. God knew it. Maybe Elisha knew it. I don't know. But all he did was turn back and pronounce upon them judgment for what they were doing because you see well let me read the rest of it first. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord and there came forth two she bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children or young adults of them that were ruffians and that were out against, to, out against the things of God. Okay, And their, their lives were taken. So The implication is there are a lot more than that. Now some have said in commentaries, How can God allow such a thing? Wait a minute. You can go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 27 and find out that those that would rebel against the things of God would have something like this happen to them. But it just so happened, under the inspiration of the Spirit, when he turned back and saw Elisha didn't do it, he just said, Judgment fall upon you. Cursed him in the name of the Lord and said, Judgment fall upon you. What was God's judgment? That was God's judgment. Why? Why such a severe judgment? because this group was again part of the prophets that were of old, that were not serving God, that were not pre- preaching truth, that were taking people, leading them astray, telling them what they wanted to hear. And when they saw Elisha coming, knowing that he came from Elijah, maybe to take over for Elijah, we don't want what you have to say. Get yourself out of here. We don't want to hear. We don't want you to tell us we're not living right. We don't want you to tell us we're doing something wrong. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it. So our we're up in arms against you and we're going to drive you out of here old bald man, once again a very, you could have a full head of hair and be called a bald man in just an offensive term back in the day and under the inspiration of the spirit he just turned around and just says well then the curse of God come upon you the judgment of God come upon you 42 from this gang of ruffians, this gang of those that were against God that stood against the will of God, the work of God in that place called Bethel were shredded by those two she-bears. You think he got their attention in Bethel? You know he did. You know he did. And once again, are we, going to, are we going to judge the judgment of God? If God's judgment fell upon them in that fashion, who are we to judge God's judgment? When David said, I mean, God said to David, your son shall die because of what you did. Who are we to judge the the great judge of all the earth and say, you were unfair to David. We can't do that. We're not God. But you you can know this. His judgment is always fair. He's righteous and he's loving. And so if it fell like that, it was because of what they did, not what God did. His work had to continue on. And they were a detriment to the work of God. And so they stood up against God. So he, he returns to where? Jordan, Jericho, and Bethel. And then he goes on with his life in serving the Lord for 60 years, I think, his total ministry. But how does that pertain to us? Well, beloved, you can also put this in here as a type. Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and taken up into heaven. And Elisha saw him. Jesus was caught up in a cloud and taken up into heaven. But he told his disciples, don't do anything until fire comes down on you. Right? You could say Elijah stands for the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, which had a limited degree of glory. The degree, degree the glory of the first covenant Was less than the glory of the second covenant. And when Jesus before he left said. The works I do shall you do also. And greater than these shall you do. Because I go to my father. So he said. Stay in the city of Jerusalem. Until you be endued with power from on high. You've already come to Calvary, your Gilgal. Now go to Jerusalem, your Bethel, and you wait there, worship me, honor me, glorify me. You're gonna get your Jericho when the fire falls from heaven and lights upon each and every one of you and empowers you from on high, and you're sold out to me. I'm gonna send you right back into the world that you came out of, and you are gonna turn it upside down for me, or right side up, we should say. Not in your own strength, not in your own power, not by your own ability, but by the power of God from on high. And we saw that in the life of Peter, the coward, the fearing, fearful one, all of a sudden becomes a bold proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ right there among all the people that wanted to kill him not too long ago. And we see that also throughout his life, Paul's life, and the others stood fearless and boldness before the enemy because they were in due with power from on high sold out to God beloved God has more for all of us and that's what we're all about do you want it do we want it Oh, hallelujah. Let him know that you want it. I'm not satisfied, Lord. I want more of you. Open up my eyes like the song sung today said. I want more of you. I want to see you in the full light of your glory. I want to be so sold out to you that you take me along my life's path from place to place until I completely am overwhelmed by your presence, your power, and your glory in my life. Make me a vessel of honor. A vessel of righteousness to proclaim Jesus in the world in which I live. And I guarantee you, you might not even have to go to them. They'll just come to you. What's different about you? Jesus. You should be down and out. It's Jesus. Really? Religion? No, no, I didn't say religion. I said Jesus. He's in my heart. He's in my life. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.